Wait, Vista House has a planetarium? <laughs> we watched Zero Effect, which means it's time for another Portland at the Movies. In a world, in a time, in a land of eternal beauty, all that stands between a city and a disaster, in a city where anything can happen. If you thought you had seen it all. Wait, what are you talking about? There aren't any good guys. You realize that, don't you? I mean, you realize there aren't evil guys and innocent guys. It's just, it's just, it's just a bunch of guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of Portland at the Movies. My name is Todd Workhoven and I am joined as always by Mark Middleton. How are you, Mark? I'm doing well today. Cheering Yay. with your blockbuster uh, hoodie on. And of course we are joined as always with Bob. With by Why do I always get tripped up like that? Uh, by Brian, the Unipiper Kid. How are you, Brian? Hey, Todd. I'm doing well. Um, hey, Mark, did you ever watch that uh, blockbuster TV show on Netflix? No, no. They they had bought the rights to do that show. It was the maker from Superstore, uh, and they are going to make the sitcom, and based on the one in Ben, but I heard it was terrible. And yeah, I heard it was it terrible, too. For like 12 seconds. Yeah, which is a bummer, because I like Randall Park, who is the guy um, who was the lead in that. He was the dad in Fresh Off the Boat. Did you guys ever watch Fresh Off the no, Boat? No, you, you Boy, rave about good. that show. Yeah, the first two seasons, at least. I didn't watch it past then. But, um, but we're not here to talk about Randall Park or Fresh Off the Boat. We are here to talk Wait. about Bill Pullman and Ben Stiller in zero effect not zero hour like i wrote real big at the top of my thing which is the <laughs> which is the old uh movie that they basically took the script and made airplane for it's oh, like right, this right, right. 50s <laughs> movie <laughs> so not zero hour zero effect uh which is a film that i was kind of in my head i knew was on our list but I was getting confused a little bit with Permanent Midnight, which Ben Stiller is also in and I think was made in Portland. Um, hmm. I could be wrong about that, but I think that was kind of an early 90s one. This one, 1998, which I would have guessed it was a few years earlier than that. Um, but it is a film written and directed by Jake Kasdan, who has done um, some things since then. He was also one of the writer-directors of Freaks and Geeks for five episodes, and then he went on to do... Uh, Orange County and a couple other movies and now he does he's done some sitcom and he was uh, executive producer fresh off the boat really yeah yeah for yeah he was one of the executive producers oh funny oh interesting yeah so I know full circle I know full circle (laughs) so yeah I know he has some name acclaim and then has done things that I think have been more successful than others which is now makes it even more curious that Freaks and Geeks top three television shows of all time I think um, as professed I love Fresh Off the Boat so his his is a void I don't remember Orange County I remember seeing it at some point but I don't remember much about it except the, other than Jack Black and Colin Hanks was in it but I was going into this movie I was like it was a cozy cozy Saturday night it's cold outside and I was like I'm just gonna I didn't watch it beforehand, so I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to take notes. This is one of those movies that, you know, it's a, a bigger release, you know, so I, I'm, we're not going to have to be a stickler or some of these, like, real crappy ones. I'm just going to experience, not distract myself, experience this movie. And so I, I didn't quite know what type of movie it is. It looked like a, you know, a gritty mystery, kind of what was in my head. 
and this and I, I, I enjoy Ben Stiller uh, in in things and this did not work for me. Huh. What was uh, so uh, who wants to kind of take the helm here and, and steer us through this? Because I'm I'm curious to hear what you I'm, I'm not not sold on it, but yeah. Uh, so I feel like it was a you know modernish day film noir uh, where you've got the P.I. And uh, weirdly, uh, Captain Ron. Have, have you ever seen this oh, stupid, yeah. stupid, stupid movie? Yes. Captain Ron. I'm familiar. Of course. I feel like the main character, the the Bill Pullman character of this show is kind of a little Captain Ron. Where <laughs> deep down, there's, there's uh, a heart, but it gets expressed in like really weird, almost on the spectrum kind of reactions and, and information and telling things. So he's got like this Sherlock Holmes-ness of like, well, I can tell you were a, an EMT because of the smell of iodine and your wet hair said that you were in the, you know, all this stuff. So uh, all that said is like, I kind of liked it. Uh, and, and it kind of worked for me, but uh, the, the general, uh, plot uh, that the general um, uh, flow of the movie yeah. is uh, there's a PI and that's Bill Pullman and his trusty legal counsel slash assistant slash uh, gopher, gopher. <laughs> but boy <laughs> uh, it, like uh, do anything for me kind kind of guy and uh, and then there's a and so they are a company, a, a private investigation company, and uh, and he is renowned as the well known as the greatest detective in the world, right? And um, and then there's a victim slash client uh, who is uh, Ryan, Ryan O'Neill, and so Ryan O'Neill has uh, we we start the movie with Ryan O'Neill explaining to Ben Stiller the assistant. Uh, the scope of the project and and uh, Ben Stiller saying giving the credits and all of the information about his boss Bill Pullman and uh, and then we follow, follow the twists and turns follow the twists and turns of, of that case and uh, who is blackmailing him and why and all the clues and and uh, Bill Pullman can is the master of disguise, and he shows up in everything, everywhere, all at once. He is one step away from Dana Carvey in <laughs> the master of disguise. And it's like if, yes. if if he would have shown up in that turtle costume, with Dana Carvey going to the Turtle Club, I would have been like, yeah, I buy it. I, I, that is part of the world of this movie, right? I think so. Yes, Bill Pullman plays the the wacky and reclusive, and you know, maven. eccentric Maven private detective greatest pri uh, private detective in the world his name is zero his last name is zero um daryl zero yeah and ben stiller is kind of his more buttoned up assistant gopher guy steve Here. Harlow. so let's I let's uh read the back of the box and see if this uh, okay, okay perfect see if you would agree with this steve arlo daryl zero they've got private investigation covered from a to z you see what they did there <laughs> arlo to zero no. solving a murder is easy Living, being a functioning person away from the job, that's hard. 
With sly humor and a detective's eye for detail, writer-director Jake Kasdan makes his debut with a film that started out great and got better and better, says Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert. Bill Pullman is socially dysfunctional. Zero, a genius on the job, a basket case in life, Ben Stiller is Arlo, Zero's smooth-talking frontman and beleaguered gopher. Their new assignment, find a tycoon's missing set of keys, a search that unlocks a Pandora's box of blackmail, revenge, and murder. Objectively, in observation, the two obs are the tools Zero uses to zero in on the crime. But when love zeroes in on Zero, the world's greatest detective suddenly doesn't have a clue. I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think fundamentally... Yeah, go ahead, Brian. I, I was going to say, I don't think I've ever heard the term gopher used like that. And Mark said it, and it's on the back of the box. Um, so oh, and I said it, too. Oh, you've never heard that, like, as a person to go get every... It's basically, go, go for, for this. Go, go uh, for coffee, go for whatever. So usually, yeah, especially on movies, if you're the gopher, you're the, the very lowest person, and you're just fetching stuff for Boy, for go people. get me stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so so Ben Stiller is basically cuckolded by by Tilly. Bill Pullman's character because he is at his beck and call at night, going on trips at the drop of a hat. And and Ben Stiller's character Arlo has a uh, a girlfriend at at home in Los Angeles that he keeps on uh, you know letting down every time he has like, well, can you come over tonight? Like. Uh, you know, I can't tonight. Oh, again, you know, yeah. uh, kind of thing. And and literally... She was on a break from doing her guest stars on uh, on Friends, that actress. <laughs> I was like, why do I know this actress? And yeah, she showed up on Friends for a couple episodes. Is that uh, Angela Featherstone? Yeah. 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 Jess. And uh, and so... Oh, no, I'm thinking of the girl with the... the Gloria Sullivan? Yeah, with the blue eyes. Kim Dickens? Yeah. Uh, Sorry. No, and, and so there's... There's Ben Stiller, who has a good relationship at home, uh, you know, is has a relationship at home that he is melting down because of work. And Bill Pullman, who has everything together at work and can't have a relationship at home. Uh, and when that relationship starts to evolve in the show, everything breaks down for him. Right. So let's talk about, I think, I think the reason I couldn't, well, I did discover I had it on 1.15 speed. So maybe that. <laughs> sure. The jokes didn't faster. land. Didn't really the timing matter. was off. <laughs> the timing was all off. <laughs> but I think, I think what it kept coming back to, um, at the very beginning of my notes, when I realized, oh, I'm not going to be able to sit through this without taking notes. Uh, we're introduced to Ben Stiller, who is is on behalf of Bill Pullman trying to land the new case. Ben Stiller goes back to Bill Pullman's apartment, and we see, like, this crazy mess. There's, like, big bags of pretzels and tuna cans everywhere, like, either a very eccentric or very sad hoarders-type existence. And Bill Pullman's in the... We don't see him yet, but he's singing some song in the background or whatever, and we're building him up to be this eccentric character and... It, it shows us he's on his bed playing his guitar and it, the camera goes from his feet up. He's got slippers and, and pajamas. And then we see Bill Pullman. Like, I didn't know what part he was going to play in this. So that was it. So we see Bill Pullman with with a Sean Penn Fast Times at Ridgemont yes. High, like blowout haircut, mid-length blonde locks. 
being this, and I wrote down, they cast living cardboard Bill Pullman as the eccentric out there. And I just thought it was such miscasting to have someone so boring and so bland that when he was acting eccentric, it was like, oh, do we need like medical intervention? Do we need a social worker to come and have an assessment? Like it wasn't a, I was trying to think of like, well, who else would I see in that? You know, clearly you think maybe a, a Robin Williams and the Fisher King type, that type eccentric. But, and, and I think that's what kept drowning this movie is that Bill Pullman just never pulled off being that lovable eccentric that needed that charisma because he just yeah. is a charisma void. <laughs> this also felt like one of those late 90s, early 2000s movies where the character was like quirky for quirkiness sake. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At some point I was like, okay, well, f- I was trying to figure out the tone of this movie too. And I was like, well, is this Ace Ventura? Because right. like Bill Pullman has sh- been shown to be displaying very odd behavior that nobody else comments on and yeah he's famous for being a detective or whatever but it was like in that world where Ace Ventura is doing something crazy and everyone around him is relatively normal and reacting to that but there wasn't there was it, it just I could not figure out the tone so I kept I wrote down are we meant to think that Bill Pullman's character is ne- not neurotypical in some way like is this an uh, on the spectrum type thing is it agoraphobia? Is he afraid? Like, what is he afraid of? What is, is the context of his quote-unquote power? Like, with Sherlock, we get, like, exactly where he is mentally. I never landed at where this guy was on mentally, because, like, once yeah. he's doing fine and, like, doing all, like you said, he was running seven miles per hour, not three. Therefore, with the airspeed of a duck and, like, doing all these insane deductions, and then, like, we hard cut to him, like, laying on a hotel room floor and crying or like right. rocking back and forth. And I was like, where, or is this just bad acting? Right. <laughs> like, it, which one am I looking at here? It was odd that, that I think Ben Stiller set his character up saying that uh, he's fine when he's like on the job and he can, you know, interact with people when he's, you know, detectiving, but then when, you know, it comes to real personalization, he struggles. But then the movie, like, it, it becomes very unclear. In one scene, he'll be absolutely fine, and you he's sort of, like, blurring the line between being on the job and being a real person. And it, it, the movie just kind of uses it when, when it's convenient, you know, like, oh, suddenly, and now in this, yeah. this scene, he's, you know, uh, uh, you know, autistic again or something. Yeah, and <laughs> right. there were those two narratives going on even at the beginning when Ben Stiller is actually doing two simultaneous descriptions of his boss, Bill Bill Pullman. He's doing one to the client. The sales pitch. uh, The sales pitch of, like, he understands human uh, emotions better than he understands the women emotion. He understands men. Like, he he understands human psychology like no one has ever understood. Like, And then you cut to Ben at the bar with his buddy and Ben is espousing uh, the same character going and he you know he doesn't even bathe you know he's yeah. like he, he's, he's he writes just songs that are terrible and They're, he can't do this and right. he, yeah. yeah I did and think so that was very think, clever yeah and, and so Ben 
clearly doesn't believe the sales pitch right in its entirety right uh, but at the same time ben was challenged by um by bill pullman's character like they're driving in the car and um and and the detective says to uh to ben stiller like well you know maybe you shouldn't have moved in with your girlfriend so soon and how did you know that kind of reaction where now ben is the recipient of this maven's right. uh, observation skills uh, that are so adept and and caught off guard by that you know and so it's you're right there isn't a uh, point on the knob that we're we're looking at. Yeah, it's it's kind of all over the place, right? Of, of who this guy is, right? Well, let's talk. This movie is proudly set in Portland. They yeah. mentioned Portland and all that. So, um, they did. There was a there was a big free Willyism where they were taking a little ride <laughs> ride downtown, and then suddenly to get to the other side of the river, they went over the Saint John John's they went, Bridge. They went over all the bridges, <laughs> and they were on the they were on the Max on this one. Um, they went to Pine, yeah, Pioneer Square. They were downtown. They were uh, they were kind of all over, which was nice to see. It was this was a cool era to see it, the the late nineties, the, the ninety eight yeah. version. Yeah, the ninety eight version of Portland, uh, and and the the what you opened with the oh, planetarium right. up at Vista House, uh, and so right next to the porta potties. <laughs> right. So uh, so Vista House is is an overlook over the gorge. Which is just a tiny, tiny little building about you know ten foot by ten foot, and underneath it are some bathrooms, and so they they put a sign over the bathrooms door. The the movie makers put a sign over the bathrooms door saying, "The John C. Yeah, Clark uh, Planetarium." Uh, you know, and and then you see the, all of the characters ultimately end up there, uh, but you see Ben Stiller entering the planetarium, and it's it's a dark room with you know 20 people in there sitting around the thing and and apparently Vista House is a planetarium the, yeah the McFetteridge planetarium and I was like what a weird McFetteridge like that had to be like someone's An name <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing about the what is the timeline of this movie how many, like, what's the span of time it takes place over, do you think? It's so... <sighs> I kept... I guess what I'm getting is, how long is this accountant's convention? Yes, <laughs> that, that, I think yeah. that is the crux there. It's... Totally. It, and, and you're exactly right. And and Daryl Zero said, I'm only in town for a few days. Yeah, he's undercover and bumps into some lady that he's talking to or whatever that eventually becomes involved. But, he, yeah, his cover story is, I'm only in Portland for... A couple days for this accounts convention and they they're meeting up at this gym that's kind of the cover it's like oh, I'm just going to this gym while I'm at the convention or whatever and there are so many establishing shots of like brand new day here at the gym and I'm like what what do these accountants oh, yeah. do for like, weeks yeah, until at this convention and that gym by the way that was like clearly not a gym it was a very small space that they just put some exercise equipment in and suddenly <laughs> yeah. it was like the health club i think the sign outside actually said the uh, portland athletic club um but it oh funny nice. it, it was clearly not a gym <laughs> 
Uh, we do see PDX and the PDX carpet in this, a very blue, a darker oh, yeah. blue version of the PDX carpet. So that was fun to see. Uh, the Oregon Timbers, we get a little uh, newspaper with a headline with the about the Portland Timbers is involved. Um, we see big pink. Yeah. From yeah. top of the, the helipad uh, over by. That was that cool. There was a Chinese lot of Garden. good shots in. Um, I was just looking it up because I was like, oh, that cinematographer sounds um, familiar. Bill Pope. And so I was looking back and Bill Pope, Dark Man, Army of Darkness, Fire in the Sky, which we did. Um, Clueless, Bound, like all and Zero Effect. Then The Matrix, Freaks and Geeks. Uh, so, yeah, he did all the Matrix ones. Spider-Man 2, so a lot of Sam Raimi stuff. So there were some shots that I was like, this is really cool. And that was yeah. one of them. It was like this crane shot down at the street and then kind of twisting over and arcing down to show them on top of that helipad by the bridge, which was a, a very cool background. So there's a lot of neat shots in this that I mm -hmm. thought. And outside of Bill Pullman, I thought the actors were great. Ryan O'Neill was great. I thought Ben Stiller was good. I kind of wanted to see, and I don't know if that's just because kind of now we know Ben Stiller more as he has more of a part in movies. And he was the second lead in this, but I just felt like I kind of wanted more of him. Yeah. And like I found his his arc interesting of like finding this balance. And like it comes to a head. So Ben Stiller finally promises his girlfriend, fine, I'm going to quit. This is too much. It's taking me away from you. I'm going to quit and we're going to get married. And so when he tells that to Bill Pullman, they're getting a fight. And Bill Pullman's like, how could you? You know, blah, blah, blah. I pay you so much. But at no, no point does Ben Stiller say, all right, well, let's reassess this. Like, let's set up some boundaries. I won't work after a like right. let's work with some. Con and like Bill right. Pullman seems completely oblivious to like why someone would and that would make sense for his character if he's like not all there when it comes to personal relationships or whatever. But that was just like never talked about. And it's like, well, clearly right. Ben Stiller should leave. Like this is very unhealthy. Right. Yeah. There were, there were a lot of nonsensical tasks that Bill Pullman sent Ben Stiller on of like fly to Portland so that you, you know, ultimately ends up like in the, in the airport on a phone next to uh, him, him having a conversation on the phone is like okay now go back to LA and he's like are you saying that this was the reason I flew to Portland to have a phone call yeah. with you? Yeah. yeah and and, uh, you know, and again I mean that's, that's another point where the eccentricity the charm of eccentricity doesn't overcome the dick move Right. Like we're not falling in love with Bill Pullman as this like impish, innocent, like, but it had to be this way. Like right. there could have been no other way for this to work except to have you here. I don't have time to explain that to you, Ben Stiller. I'm smarter at this. So right. like we never got that, that charm of that. At one point, um, one of the tasks he sends Ben Stiller on is to rent a child <laughs> to play with at a playground as cover. <laughs> and someone's like, whose kid is that? I don't know. I rented him. What? Where's that story? Is that one of our movies of the week that we've done? <laughs> Child rentals in the in the park. Um, going back to yeah, the, uh, some of the locations in, in the movie, uh, when they were downtown, uh, it, in one scene, they parked a car in front of a store called uh, the Kalen Novelty Store. Uh, and then it said Magic Tricks and Jokes. Um, I would have loved to have gone to that store. Does anyone remember it? Really? Yeah. No. Well, how did you spell Kalins? Uh, I think it was C-A-L-L-I-N. 
I guess it could also be Colin Novelty Store. Okay. Oh, interesting. I'll have to see if there's any info on huh. that. Yeah. There was a one when they were taking their tour of downtown. Yeah, they went um, by the the Portland sign, not the not the Welcome to Portland one, but the the the, um, the Schnitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Big Pink and the bridge and Pioneer Square. And then they kind of parked outside what I thought was the courthouse. But the more they pulled away from that, I'm like, that's not the I courthouse. I think that's the Multnomah Library. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That makes more sense. I think the library was the stand-in for the outside of the uh, gym. Yep, okay. That t- <laughs> I want to join a gym that looks like the Multnomah County Library. Um, We do know when this uh, movie What time of year this movie was filmed Um, It was either uh, uh, May or early June Because the Ferris wheel was up So it was either Cinco de Mayo or the Rose Festival Oh I missed that Yeah Oh, interesting. uh, When they drove across the bridge That probably would have been 97 or so if this came out In 98 Yeah Huh Um at one point why okay so this private detective um bill pullman gets hired by ryan o'neill who is an older businessman who wants ryan who wants the detective to gregory stark gregory stark needs to initially find a key and find a lock uh, a bank lockbox is that his initial foray or uh, do we get because this gets I unraveled think, into a bigger I think he was hired to find keys and a name the, he wanted to find the keys that he had lost and he wanted the name of the person who was blackmailing yeah so Ryan O'Neill is getting blackmailed by someone about something he doesn't tell he doesn't tell Bill Pullman about that he's like that's none of your business I just need this key and I need the name of this person and then that that's the part where like I just kept writing down like what are they doing what are they investigating why and for whom which are bad questions to have like three quarters of the way into a movie but that's where I I understood it kind of as it was happening but I I couldn't piece together the overall picture because then we'd get like a Bill Pullman thing where he's like well didn't you see A, B, and C so now we're at this plot point and I was like we get little flashbacks to what we saw, but I just couldn't quite piece it together. Uh, Tell us, dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's... Uh, it's a little bit muddled in, in the middle of the steps that, you know, specifically that they got there, but um, uh, Daryl Zero follows the client, Gregory Stark, into the gym... And nobody's ever seen Daryl Zero because he's so reclusive, and so the master of disguise. And he's shown to be a master of disguise, but he shows up at the gym wearing like a jacket, a, like yeah, like a, a, a jacket, like <laughs> like you would put on on a brisk day in fall. Right. And he's on a treadmill, dressed like he's going to a casual business meeting, and I was like, well. Totally weird. Yes. Is that meant to be like a psychological play or was that meant to be like he he just can't fit in? But how do you be a master of disguise if you don't know you shouldn't right. be wearing that to the gym? But right. was that the point the whole time? Like, where right. are we here? Right. And he he gives the same information or he, he gives uh, different information to adjoining people, people that interact with each other so that they have the opportunity to put together that. 
he's, he's not. telling them lies. And right. so he, t- he told the receptionist that I'm an architect, and he told the the lady right be you know behind, behind him behind him that he's an accountant, uh, and then they chat and they're like, yeah, you should you know he's uh, he's a keeper, you know who who wouldn't want to be with an architect. Like, so he well, does. He's not he, an architect. He's he, an he meets this lady at the gym because he wants to book a massage with the lady that's also doing Stark, so that maybe he can get some information from the masseuse. The lady behind him is like, "Oh shoot, um, I was gonna, I was gonna try to book that slot or whatever." It was a little meat cute. Um, that's when he's like, "You're a firefighter with like zero information," and later he says all of that you nonsense smell of iodine. or whatever. Um, oh crap, I forgot where I was going. <laughs> oh, so. This show does not offer a lot of female perspective. No. So just perhaps if, if there are ladies out there listening, um, you can <laughs> you can um, send us your input. So you are at a gym and you have a tiny little meet cute with a guy who says that you're an accountant or he's an accountant. Do you a, you know, just kind of flirt with him at the gym for a week or so and go out a date? Or do you immediately invite him to your house, <laughs> have him do your taxes while you shower, and take, a take a nap, you have a gun in your side drawer. What is happening? <laughs> like, wow. It, it was super weird that that. <laughs> One, she asked, like, hey, can you look at my taxes? And that he said yes. Because <laughs> and he's it wasn't not like a, an a, a one sheet or whatever. No, like, she brought like, out her files. Totally. And, and like, okay, here you go. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> Let me know if you need anything. Uh, stranger. Stranger. And, and, like, maybe you could give him some, pers- like, Maybe you could hire him uh, as a CPA uh, <laughs> or he's maybe. just trying to have time off from the accountant's convention. And now you're making him do more work <laughs> while, while you nap and take a shower. Uh, and, and he just full on he goes. And that's another part where he kind of panic calls Ben Stiller and is like, what are taxes? <laughs> and then the okay, Alexa. Next scene <laughs> and the very next scene he is shown to like over competently doing the taxes and responding to her inquiry I, about the I, corodium the cor- what is the corodium um, deduction <laughs> yeah and and I don't know if this was like a catch me if you can moment where she was trying to to find out if he knew anything or uh, and That's the only way that because I mean it, it does come to find the the big twist is that the tax lady uh, what's her name do we uh, know uh, Kim Dickens is the actress Gloria. Uh, Gloria Sullivan Gloria yeah so Gloria who's having her taxes reviewed by Bill Pullman later in the story is um, involved in this whole thing so she is it is shown at the end also kind of doing her own espionage detective work and so like I, even as the scene was unfolding I'm like she's oh she's the she, best blackmailer of she, all time she knows that he's a fraud and is testing him and I was like well okay but what? then is the corrodium deduction they, they never, real they never showed you know, they never let on did he win or did she win in that right it was like a stalemate and so she goes to take a nap 
like right. she's still unclear <laughs> like who this person is and she's like oh that took a lot out of me <laughs> i'm gonna go be in my most defense defenseless vulnerable state known to man sleeping this was a very misogynist movie. <laughs> it really was like there's there's no female character talking uh, uh about yeah this does not pass anything the other yeah yeah, yeah. this the, uh, anything other than about the men in the show. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- yeah just uh, that scene again is like, I couldn't figure out where we were landing because if she was truly untrustworthy of him, I wasn't sure at what point she knew who he was right. because there was a lot of, uh-oh. um, let's see. <laughs> then he got halfway through the movie. He permed his weird hair. <laughs> like, he had had it slicked back for a couple scenes where he well let's talk about those disguises yeah he they seem at points to be laughably like har har like this is a movie costume and we're pretending that he's not but it's it's always sold at like everybody buys into it right the gr- almost like groucho Marx glasses you know level of yeah, yeah beards that are clearly like glued on and so uh, yeah, I couldn't quite, and so he is very wealthy. You know, he is the best detective on earth. And why are they staying? Cause they fly to Portland, and he and Ben Stiller are sharing like a really oh. crappy motel. I mean, no offense to what was at the Pioneer Pinehurst Motel, which is the exterior that they use for that. But yeah, like a really divey hotel room that's really gross. No idea, other than gives them a chance to be on camera together was in, it, in the same room was that not the hotel where the uh murder took place oh because at one point he does say take me to where it is did they just stay in that room then? right i i that's it looked like that room but that's but that true. room was a single bed room yeah that's true and they were saying maybe i guess they were just staying in that same hotel then Ooh, that's kind of weird um Suite. Yeah, and I was going to play a little a piece of the quote-unquote chemistry between Bill Pullman and tax, tax Lady, but it is so non-existent that, like, without the visuals, you would just be, I mean, it's, there's nothing to grab onto, and I think, I, I still don't know, and he reminded me of Christian Slater a couple times, and I was like, oh, I could see Christian Slater maybe pulling off this role of, like, kind of eccentric weirdo you know sheltered out uh, up in a house but he's still burning but it, it just came, kept coming back i wonder if he was their first choice or and then they end up oh oh yeah okay so let's get back to the female perspective so now that you've taken your nap while the stranger is doing your taxes you know he's lying but not sure about what so you know you go take a rest and then after your nap take a shower and then you take him to the gun range with your gun out in the woods where no one would ever be able to find your body. Right. In the middle of the night. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, his hair was all slicked back for some of those. And then he came out that one time with the the wavy perm. Um, so do we want to unpack now what the kind of the twisting storyline is how all these intersect who can <laughs> go through that brian do you know uh i think so um so okay let's see uh mr stark is being blackmailed this we know um and he had also lost his keys 
uh, it turns out the keys were uh, unconnected to, uh, directly not related to the blackmail, um, because he had truly just lost his keys in his couch. Um, now, the reason that he wanted the keys is because it was a key to a safety deposit box that we learned. Uh, we don't learn until later what is in the safety deposit box, um, but uh, ultimately um, uh, it, it is not very long before Daryl Zero um, identifies uh, this Gloria uh, woman as, as the blackmailer um, because he uh, uh, follow he, he uh, scouts out the um, the money drop and sees uh, who goes in to pick it up and it was ultimately her um, at work in her EMT uniform with her EMT medical box and she smuggles the money out in her uh, um, uh, EMT uh, medical box then uh, let's see where do we go from there <laughs> Uh, we learn, um, see, th there was stuff that happened in the middle that kind of makes it confusing. Um, but then ultimately what we end up learning is that, um, Gloria's mother, uh, was killed by a hitman, um, hired by, uh, Mr. Stark. And, uh, Mr. Stark had her killed because... Um, she was his uh, ex, and she was, uh, now that he was a successful businessman or whatever, she was accusing him of rape, um, and she herself was going to blackmail him, um, or she was going to come out with this story that he raped her and ruined his professional life. Um, ultimately, we find out that the, uh, the, the hitman... Um, uh, when he killed Gloria's mother, um, Gloria was already pregnant and had Gloria as a baby, um, who, and uh, Mr. Stark was the father, um, and so the hitman kills the mother and realizes that there is a newborn baby in the hotel room, um, and then as a hitman, I guess he feels bad, and he takes the baby to raise as his own, except he doesn't raise it as his own. He gives it to... I th That's the movie I want to see. Hitman and Baby. <laughs> yeah. Directed by the Coen brothers. Season of Barry. <laughs> um, so he gives the baby, I think, to his brother and sister, or his sister to raise. Um, and so she grows up thinking that she was raised by her aunt and uncle, who is really just the sister of the hitman um and then when the hitman uh is getting the old hitman, his wife his bodyguards adopted daughter when the hitman starts to get old and has medical issues um she learns the truth <laughs> and decides to blackmail her biological father to, to basically pick up the blackmail from where her mother left it off many years ago um and uh well i didn't realize the mom was also yeah i guess so that's why yeah. she was killed yeah and so she was going to use the money from the blackmail to pay for her adopted father the hitman's medical bills <laughs> anybody come at me bro anybody want to question that <laughs> no that's exactly that's right. true i guess i didn't connect because yeah the hitman's family ended up apparently being like the kind generous folk that uh oh wow that's really funny 
<laughs> and mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> so then what was in... So he wants the keys and to find the safety deposit box. Ah, uh, yes. He has the key to it. He has the key to it. Somebody else knows the location of the lockbox but does not have the key because in it is this film of... An audio recording of the... On 8mm uh, film? No, I think no, it's it, a reel-to-reel. It was reel. an audio recording. Oh. It, it was a, um, a recording of him confessing yeah. uh, that... Uh, I killed her. So who was the who was the other per, who was the other lockbox person? The mom the mom that got killed. The mom, I believe. Okay. Or it could have but been the hitman. So yeah, so okay, so Ryan O'Neill has the mom killed. He has the key but doesn't know the lockbox is. He needs the lockbox because or he needs the name of the person blackmailing because he thinks that person No. Because he uh, wants to ultimately kill that person. Right. Right. Okay. Well, and then, so what made it extra confusing is that there was a couple scene where it's, it's now kind of the audience is catching on that uh, Gloria is not just an EMT. She is an EMT, but she is the one that is blackmailing because it was her mom that was killed. And so kind of we're piecing that together as the movie is going. And one of the ways that uh, I keep wanting to call him Monk because I'm assuming that this is a lot of what the show Monk is like, but Bill Pullman telling Ryan O'Neill, right now we're going to continue to go through the blackmail thing so that the person doesn't think we're on to them. So in order to not be followed, I think he said you have to get, that's when we get our drive through Portland is you have to get on this bus and then give a code to get this to find your next direction so that it's impossible to follow. Am I making that noise? No, I'm sorry. That's me. Oh. <laughs> um, and so it ends up to a public restroom that he has to put the the blackmail money in, and Bill Pullman sticks around afterwards to see who picks up the money. So he first sees two hired goons, like go into the bathroom, and we're like, oh, okay, well, it's the two hired goons that are involved with it. But then the hired goons come back out and kind of disperse and that's when Gloria as an EMT comes into the building goes into the bathroom collects the blackmail money and leaves then we don't see the two goons for a while but then they pop up I feel like at the end somehow and I'm like well who are these guys like how are they one of them was like a craggy faced or maybe he showed up in the flashback that killed the mom but do you remember that at the money pickup those two guys Uh, they went into the bathroom first right yeah. Right. Like they were going to go pick up the money, but then they come out. The only thing I thought is like, well, maybe Gloria hired them to sweep the bathroom to make sure nobody was in. But it didn't seem like I, I couldn't I couldn't figure that out or who they worked for. I don't know. In my mind, that was just like a red herring. Like uh, we were led to believe yeah. that was going to be the person picking up the money. Um, but it was just like a Scooby Doo red herring. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Um, there was a meeting in a restaurant between Ben Stiller and or somebody in Bill Pullman. And uh, they were, like, in an empty restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was uh, Bill, uh, Bill Pullman and – or maybe it was Ben Stiller and, and uh, Mr. Stark. Okay. What – did you recognize the restaurant? I wonder if it was – I read – no, I did not recognize it, uh, but I, I did find it online, and it was uh, Ruth's Chris. 
Oh, funny. <laughs> really? That's what I read online. The di- Jack's Diner? Not the diner. No, because there's oh. another place that's going to ask Jack's Diner. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Was, I'm like, that's not true. Was the... <laughs> Was that Jack's Diner, I'm wondering, a real place or if that was sec? I don't think they would set deck a whole place like that. No. Yeah, I, I think Jack's Diner was a was a place. Uh, okay, so I'll figure 90s. that out. North, we see, a, I saw a sign for one of their houses. I think it might have been Gloria's houses on uh, Northwest Northrop that I saw a sign there. Um, what else do we have? Oh, one thing that I thought was interesting is the time period in which this movie took place. Um, because it was right at the cusp of the internet catching on mainstream. Um, so you had a couple of weird dated references, like uh, they say email message. Uh, and Oh, funny. And Bill Pullman, I think, uh, seems to be a better detective than he is simply because he knows how to use the internet. <laughs> yes, well, and he's typing, and it's still like the old... yeah. It's not like Monochrome. even a Microsoft Word right. document. It's the old DOS he's typing into. Right. Um, so at the end, they go to the planetary. So this is all culminating. And is there another money drop at the planetarium slash Vista house? What draws Ryan O'Neill there? Yeah, there was. there's going to be a money drop <laughs> in the uh, porta potty outside. Right. Uh, and... And so everybody, you know, converges on that. So why does he go into the planetarium? Because... Is that what he was... He, I think it was told in a narration or something, and he decides he's had enough of this, and he wants to see if he can find out who the the blackmailer is himself, and so he he thinks that must be where they're, like, observing him. So he just goes in there to, to confront someone. He goes into the uh, the planetarium, and we see Gloria sitting there. But that's also where we see the two thugs again, isn't it? Yeah. Because we keep getting picture, we get another kind of close up of them, and they're kind of acting uncomfortable. And um, Star kind of reaches into his jacket, and they kind of respond like, "Uh oh, is he going to pull out a gun? Like, what's going on?" So he then um, Stark Ryan O'Neill promptly has a heart attack <laughs> and collapses on the floor of the planetarium. Gloria, who is a real-life EMT, as we've said, even though she's the blackmailer, she goes and gives him... See, what? Gives him some Okay, care. so you are in a planetarium, right? Let's put ourselves... We don't even need to be women in this scenario, so we can go back to being men. We are in a planetarium. A guy bursts in and is looking around and has a heart attack. And flips on the lights. And oh, yeah, yeah, flips on their lights. I thought he got stabbed because he, like... You see him press up against the wall, and it looked like a pokey yeah. thing. And I was like, yeah. how could that tiny pokey thing? But so it collapses on the floor. Lights come on. Everybody looks. There are, I don't know, seven to ten people in that planetarium. Everybody is standing there. And I understand not everybody leaves in the acid, But they are silent and just standing there as if they were mannequins. Like one lady just has her hand over his mouth. Nobody did anything until that EMT lady finally was like, huh, fine, call 911. And then they still just all stand there. It is so funny <laughs> that they stand there for so, not even a hubbub, not even a like panic. No, just nobody screamed. Nobody standing yeah. and staring. <laughs> so yeah, he, she, Gloria revives Stark and then how... And then decides, okay, this whole charade, I guess, is over. I'm going to flee 
and go hide. But wh- who is she hiding from? How does how does how does Ryan O'Neill find out that it's Gloria? That is, or does he never? Oh, he never does. He only, never does. Only Bill Pullman <clears throat> figures that out, right. and that's when Gloria's like, "Well, crap! You know they're going to call the cops. This is done. I need to flee." She goes to the airport and calls Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman, of course, somehow is like, you're on flight 253. That leaves at 10.57 p.m. If you look to the right, that man by the thing is Ben Stiller. and He's going to be a big star someday, but right now you go talk to him. (laughs) So somehow, which I couldn't figure out, he knew, even though she made last-minute plans and told no one all of the details of her flight and basically says... I'm not going to chase you. Ryan O'Neill doesn't know your name, so you'll be safe. I want you to first go to South America and then go to somewhere random so that I also won't know where you are. And she flies. She flies away. So I can't find any reference to what you're talking about with <laughs> the people in the planetarium of uh, the are bad guys. Yeah, I'm looking at the same uh, thing, and all I see is... It's so... Yeah. So they, they look at... at Zero several times mm-hmm. in his goatee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did his did his costume? Does his master of disguise work on me? I yes, think it, I think it did. I yes. think you thought he was a goon yes. based on his masterful disguise. <laughs> oh, he's got a goatee on. Okay. Well, I stand corrected. <laughs> And, Although they still, shamed. there were other there were other people who just stood there as gawkers. <laughs> Tilly, but once the heart attack happened, this this is the picture of the goon. Okay, but this is but there were hired goons at the pickup, like at the at the at the first pickup in the in the. Well, there were guys that walked into the bathroom. We never get that they were related to this at all. I think it was just coincidence. They to were throw us such off. hired goons. Okay, well, they were made to look like bit. hired all goons, right. All right. so that you go, oh, yeah. we hired found goons. them, and then the EMT lady Surprise. comes in. There you go, stereotyping people again, Todd. <laughs> that man is Jeez. clearly a goon. All right, well, somebody else talk. I'm gonna go find that scene. That's irritating me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I said I did think I said this, but um. It was a beautiful shot of the St. John's Bridge, but also we get on the Max, which I thought was cool. Take a little Max, a Max ride downtown. Oh, uh, there's a s- right. Uh, yeah, there's a scene. Go, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. <laughs> there's a scene uh, in a parking garage, and it is uh, the parking garage that is next to my office downtown that I always park in. So I was just kind of like, oh, it's my parking garage. <laughs> oh, funny, funny. Yeah, so I think I mean there are there are pieces of this movie that that do work. I thought a lot of the performances were great. I do think it's just that both between the tone and Bill Pullman just being so wooden that it, it just could never pull off what it wanted it to be. All right, so we're watching the little scene right now. It's um, everybody has evacuated for this toilet pickup. We somebody dressed like the Joker, <laughs> right? Walks in. Oh shit! Oh, walks in is looking all shifty. Then we see oh, hired goon come out of the bathroom, meet the Tommy Wiseau looking guy. Go, go back. Go in. back inside. The building is being evacuated. Goes back into the restroom. 
and so we're we're being spoon fed a narrative that but ah, he comes he comes fed. out of the bathroom holding a bag totally he he does that he didn't walk in with it's just a coincidence like a huge duffel bag he well he well, came uh, out of the bathroom without his bag and then he's like oh i forgot my bag let me go back into the bathroom and get it he goes back into the bathroom and gets it and walks out and now you've pegged him at yeah you know, you've racially profiled him yeah. as a thug this is how it happened this is a slippery slope you need to recognize your bias todd I guess so. I guess a face that has a, a certain amount of crag, <laughs> and you're also talking to a mysterious man dressed as the, the Joker. <laughs> and holding a tambourine. <laughs> holding a tambourine and, a, and an inexplicably big gym bag, even though you're dressed in a suit at the gym. All right. Well, bad form on me. I guess I'll... I'll be making another apology <laughs> video. I guess. <laughs> I love the song. He was so kind. <laughs> Did you? Are you seeing him? Yeah. That's so ludicrous. Ah, uh, well. Are there any other thoughts on this movie? I mean, there was, like I said, there were pieces that worked, and I'm glad to see that. Um, oh, this I did see in IMDb that this he also tried to uh, he uh, Jake Kasdan tried to make this into a TV series. Yes. Oh. And I watched the first 10 minutes of it and it was fascinating. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it oh, was uh, wow. um, in, in 2002. So like four years later, um, he writes right after Orange County, writes and directs uh, a pilot that is never aired and never gets picked up. Um, and it stars Alan uh, coming as uh, um, uh, zero. And he's got an Irish oh. Irish accent. <laughs> Um, oh. <laughs> but uh, the first 10 minutes I watched of the, the uh, it was fascinating. It was almost like a remake of, of the movie because it kind of sets things up and they start with the Arlo character uh, talking about this guy. Um, but then it flashes back and I guess the, the pilot's going to be about how they met and how uh, Zero hired him. Uh, it's uh, Interesting. Yeah, it was fascinating. I, I'll probably end up watching the rest of it. Was it on YouTube? It's or on YouTube, yep. Wow. Oh, that's super fascinating. And I could see how, I mean, and clearly it did work because, I mean, I, I, I've never seen Monk, but from the from the description and from the clips, it does seem like it's kind of in this vein. It's the same as Sherlock. Like, that's all yep. this, you know, quirky, quirky, great detective thing. Um, so maybe this was this was the the starting point for that sort of I did all that I mean this was made in the late 90s so this also did remind me a lot of that weird vibe that was going around which was kind of the the what I would call Florida detective vibe there was um, Carl Hyacin is an author that wrote a bunch of books and there's one other guy that did like these these crime detective stories in Florida but they were like kind of this weird height be cool I think was Elmore Leonard that's the other um, author that I'm thinking of but be cool was one of the movies that did that and there was a couple other ones around that that time and I felt like this was in the vein of those movies trying to capture this quirky not quite Twin Peaks but kind of surreal elements of it and it just didn't quite land but perhaps this was the the, the point where everyone was like, oh, that's a good idea. Now we'll just do it in ways that work. So I don't know if it's just because of the bar that we've set on the show, but 
I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, and um, I oh good. I uh, uh, Sarah watched the first half with me, and um, I, I then I finished it, and she was like, "Oh, how was the rest of the movie?" And I was like, "It's really good. You should watch it." And she watched the rest of it too, and she loved it, and um, I I was like, "Wow, this may be the first genuinely good movie that I've I've seen." So wow. this this is well. So then, so tell me about your take on Bill Pullman then, because I've been kind of crowding this. Crowd, now that I've learned about marginalized groups of people and how I affect them, I realized I didn't leave an open enough space for people to <laughs> really t- tell their genuine feelings outside of what I was saying. Um, I, I think Bill Pullman was probably not the best cast in this movie. Um, but overall, uh, especially, I, I feel like this movie was the coming together of all the elements that we've been hoping for on this show. Like, um, it just because it didn't suck, I was like, oh, this is a, it was a good movie. Um, and <laughs> like, I would say the, the, it took place in Portland and the imagery of Portland was above average, uh, for, for our movies. Um, and it was well shot. Um, and I, 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 during, I, I, I could not, I lost myself in that I did not think I was watching something for this show. I felt like I was just watching a movie. Wow. Oh, wow. That is high praise for this show. <laughs> I felt like I was watching a movie. <laughs> and I do. I mean, I know I was harsh and, and still do think uh, a, a large part of why this doesn't work as well as I wanted to is Bill Pullman. But I did, I did enjoy uh, the journey of the movie, even though it was a little muddled in places. Um, it was fun and it was nice to see a movie where Portland did look really good. I mean, there were some amazing shots from, from them. And is Jake Kasdan, do you know, is he the son of Lawrence Kasdan? Yes, the yes. Empire Strikes Back director? Yes. Okay. That's what I always figured. Nepo baby. So, um, this is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be my new go-to film. I think when people start up a conversation about Portland movies and they're like, Oh, what's a Portland movie I should watch. And I think that, I think this will be my new, uh, Oh, check out zero effect. That, that's that's a good idea, and maybe and because I was getting it confused in my mind with Permanent Midnight, which I hear does have some a uh, little bit more indie acclaim, and, and is maybe better that I was having expectations that are a little high. But maybe um, next month it's still kind of influxes kind of what I want to do or what might be doing. But maybe in March we can do Permanent Midnight. Okay. Unless I'm making up that Ben Stiller is in that, but yeah, that would be interesting to kind of see see both of the Ben Stiller things at the same time. Cool. Um, let's see, Mark, do you have anything else? <clears throat> One more thing Ooh. is, um, I, uh, checking the date here and there, uh, is a showing, I believe coming up in the Hollywood theater of zero effect in 35 millimeter. Oh, uh, oh wow. Uh, they're doing, I, I think, um, Nick said there was other, one other thing that I noticed while you looked that up, um, at the very beginning of the movie where, let's see, where is it? Where Ryan O'Neill says, you, you know, Ben Stiller's like, well, just tell me what this is all about. And Ryan O'Neill says, I lost my keys. Then we have kind of this, this swoosh, whoosh, fade to black, then fade up that we're kind of getting a flashback. But they did it on a close-up of Ryan O'Neill, and then they never did another little whoosh, transition until the very end and it was two white flashes for some reason that I needed to indicate taking a picture or something like that but I, I couldn't for the life of me figure out what it was trying to indicate that one and only time we got this weird black swooshing transition sound hmm. I 
think it might have been last year. Yeah, Nick. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's coming up. Oh shoot. Um, Todd, uh, Permanent Midnight does not seem to be filmed in Portland. Oh. It was filmed in Seattle. What? Oh, well, maybe then I was getting confused that this was Permanent Midnight. Uh Because is Ben Stiller in Permanent Midnight? Yes. Okay, maybe I just saw the title and thought they were the same thing. Should we just watch Permanent Midnight anyway? <laughs> we'll just expand the scope of Portland at the movies. I mean, it's got Fred Willard in it, so I'm in. <laughs> it's our only opportunity. Well, then never mind about Permanent Midnight. Um, ah, so yeah, I would... Um, wow. This movie was a little hard to find, though, wasn't it? It's not it, streaming or, or showing in very many places. That's true. So it's interesting that it's more... Why do we think it's more... Because it's not bad. Like, Portland's had bad movies. We've had bad movies. It's not a bad movie, and I would say... Yeah, I would go to C+, B-, B maybe. Why do we think that more people don't remember this? That's a very good question. Yeah, uh, I don't have a good answer for that. Maybe like, it just wasn't a big was enough competent. hit for yeah, yeah. anyone to remember. or Huh. I guess we'll never know. I wonder what movies came out in parallel with it. Like what what overshadowed this? Mm-hmm. Oh, that could be that yeah. something else just dropped that was like way way more interesting to watch. I know this is the lead up to 1999, which was an amazing year for movies. Um well, Brian the Unipiper kid, is there anything coming up in the future that you would like to tell people about? Um where can they see the Unipiper? Yeah, uh we're st- Still uh, tentatively planning a big showing at Fan Expo Portland. Um, the uh, uh, it used to be called Wizard World, and it's back as Fan Expo, and it's the week of February seventeenth uh, through nineteenth, and uh, the entire cast of Back to the Future will be there too. <laughs> yeah, as, as will Sam Raimi, so we can ask yeah. him about Bill Pope's involvement <laughs> in, in, in this movie. Uh, yeah, very cool. And, of course, at the unipiper.com. Mark Middleton. Yeah. Uh, you and I uh, talk almost every week about uh, things going on in Portland and in science on the Mark and Toddcast. So check us out at markandtoddcast.com. We did. We had a really fun uh, conversation kind of about where AI was from. And there's going to be a couple updates that, of news stories that kind of come up that have addressed some of the things that we'll talk about. So be sure to tune into that whenever we uh, come back. Other than that, we will play a little bit of whatever plays over the credits of this movie. Um, we Oh, we do have a Patreon if you want to be part of our Patreon. But you can also see all of our back shows for free at portlandofthemovies.com. And portlandofthemovies.com slash map will have screenshots from this uh, on at the location that, that they're at. So go check those out and check out all the other movies. We will see you guys later. Listen to FunEmploymentRadio.com. Awesome. Bye-bye. And though I never would have anticipated it, in the end she did for me what I have done for so many. Helped solve a problem first by observation, then by careful intervention. In other words, the zero effect. (laughs) 